We're going to be in Song of Solomon chapter 3. We're about, I guess, part 5 of our series. We're just kind of working through it and hitting the high points. Uh, I've given you two outlines, and here's what I did. Uh, One is a front and back, one-page front and back outline. That's the one we're going to teach from today. And then the other one is just more of a, um, a supplement, and I've given you uh, more detail about the rest of the chapter, which I'm not actually going to teach in a message, but this is good for you to go over on your own, your own study, uh, the second part of the chapter, and uh, really that second part of the chapter, we have this um, expression of Jesus as the safe Savior, who He is, and and how he is the one that uh, protects us. And he's safe for us to approach. And he is safe when we're with him. He's that, he's that one that covers and protects us. And so uh, that gives a, a good little Bible study for you to do on your own. So I'll just put that in your hands. And you can, you can look at that sometime this week. Go ahead and uh, pull out the, the one that starts off with Roman number 1, Review of Chapter 2. And that's the one we'll work from this morning. Um, so just, just in review, last week uh, we were talking about chapter 2, where in chapter 2, the maiden who represents us, she is experiencing the, this, the amazing pleasure of intimacy with Jesus. And she's experiencing refreshing, she's experiencing rest, she's under the shade uh, of His presence and whereas before she had been burnt out and, and, and you know, completely worn out and, and in her own weakness and immaturity experiencing the stumbles uh, and the trials of being a, an immature Christian who's given to uh, mistakes and sin. Well, he approaches her in that state and then he brings her into intimate relationship and he says, I love you. I, I, you're beautiful to me even in your weakness. Even though there's uh, challenges and immaturity in your life, I love you. And he calls her forth out of her immaturity through sharing his heart for her. And so in chapter 2, what we see is this experience where she is encountering him and experiencing his love. And she's beginning to believe for the first time the truth of who she is to him, to the truth of her beauty to him. And she's beginning to believe that he loves her for real, like he, she's really stepping into it, and that she's desirable to him. And uh, it's in that place, she says, his banner over me is love, his banner over me. And, and, and what that means is, everything he's doing in my life, it's for love. Everything he's doing, it's for love. All the ingredients. And we'll see that even more in more detail in chapter 5. She says, his banner over over me is love. And and then what happens is he shows back up. The scene changes about verse 8. He shows up and he comes now as a warrior. He doesn't just come as this uh, romantic that's drawing her in intimacy. He comes as a warrior king. And she looks at him. She goes, I've never seen you this way before. And he goes, I'm actually the captain of the the armies of heaven. That's who I am too. I actually do that too. I I destroy principalities. Yeah, I woo your heart because I'm interested in you, and I topple demonic forces. I do both of those. She goes, I didn't know about the toppling of demonic forces. He goes, that's what I do, and I want you to come with me. I want you to come with me and take out principalities and powers, and I want you to step into ministry with me, and 
and engage in, in what I do. I, I change the nations and I overcome all the problems of life. I'm, I'm the victorious one. I'm the, I'm the conquering king. And she's staring at him. She goes, I did not think you were like this. I thought you were fun, but I didn't think you were strong like that. And, and so what happens is she is uh, she's afraid. She's afraid to come with him. He goes, come on, arise, arise. Come with me, my fair one. Come away. And she goes, I, I don't think so. I'm not into fighting wars. I'm into shade trees. <laughs> I'm into rest under the shade tree. I'm not into conquering whatevers. And, and she says, so go and, and, and be like a gazelle on the mountain of Bether. And Bether is separation. She goes, go, be separate from me. You go there. I'll stay here. I'll find you here. You go do what you do. I'll do what I do. And she's about to find out that's not how it works. It's just not a good plan. Because when Jesus invites you into fellowship, when he invites you into intimacy and he invites you into obedience, you, you have a choice to make because no matter what, if he's inviting you into partnership with him, an obedient partnership, uh, it's going to be something beyond what you're able to pull off in your own strength. If it's Jesus, it will take Jesus to do it. Okay? And so uh, what happens is she's staring at the situation. She goes, I don't think I can do this. Well, that's the point. And so uh, she has to find out essentially the hard way now that it's better in obedience that might be uh, into a place that requires real courage. It's better to follow Jesus in obedience, even, uh, even in the face of fear. It's better to do that than to stay in your comfort zone, to stay complacent. And so that's where we start chapter 3. She's told him to leave, and she's going <clears> to <throat> have an interesting... Uh, encounter as a result. So here we are, uh, Roman numeral two, perfection of love through correction, through correction. All right, by night on my bed, I sought the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. So she's in, a, she's in the uh, familiar place of intimacy. Be, it would be as if you or I, we say, no, in disobedience to the Lord, to something he's inviting us to do. And then we just start off the next day just going into our little prayer room, putting on our music, lighting our candle, getting our favorite worship song and our favorite scripture out. But all of a sudden, we can't feel him. It's like the heavens go brass all of a sudden. So that's what she's doing. She's looking for him in the familiar place according to the familiar way. And she says, by night... And so here it is, uh, we have this, she enters into a night season. And there's two times where we see the, the maiden in the song, and she's in the night. In chapter 3 and in chapter 5. Well, in chapter 3, she's in the night of her own doing. Chapter 5, he leads her into the night. Chapter 3, she's in the night, and the night represents a few things. The night represents, you know, this time of darkness where you can't see, your vision is dim, and, and, and it represents a time of coldness where you're away from the warmth of God's presence. So here she is. She is 
in a night season, she can't see, her vision is dim, and she doesn't feel the nearness of his presence. Now, the New American Standard says night after night. Instead of by night, it says night after night, which is probably the more correct rendering. And what it means is it wasn't just one night. She's in a season. She's going through it. She's in this place where she can't feel him and she can't see him. Ever been there? I mean, like all the time. Now, contrast that with chapter 2, where it's all cakes and raisins and shade trees, and his presence is rich, and, you know, he's, she's lovesick, and his, she's in the banqueting house with him, and his banner over his love, and she's just feeling the revelation of his love and delight and the beauty of the Lord, and all these things are flowing. Everything's beautiful. She goes, I want to do some more of that. Let's go. Let's do some more of that, Lord. And, she, and the Lord goes, I'm on the mountain. She goes, but I want to do it where I'm used to. I want to encounter you where I'm used to encountering you. He goes, that will put you in a night season just like this. And that's what happens. So she is in a season of disobedience where now she doesn't sense his presence. She can't see him. And so the way that works for us is this. It's just as simple as that. You, you, you know when you've had these moments where uh, you, all of a sudden your vision grows dim in the Lord. All of a sudden you lack clarity. All of a sudden you can't see. You don't know why. All of a sudden God's presence seems a million miles away. And you're, you're trying to figure out what's happened. I'm not doing anything different. Like what just happened? Most of the time, I think believers instantly think, I've done something wrong. God's rejected me. Oh, no. And they get this this crazy fear on them about the rejection of the Lord. Now, here's here's the nuance that's critical. At times, the Lord will correct us by drawing back on his presence just a little bit. So that we sense the distance, we sense our need for him, we don't sense the the closeness, and all of a sudden we can't see, we're not as as clear, our vision gets blurry. He'll pull back just a little bit when we're in disobedience to cause us to pursue him, to cause us to come out of disobedience, come into obedience, and come back into his presence and experience his nearness again. Most believers, the, the concept of that, the way that they, they, uh, they uh, um, process it is, they think it's this thing where God is just, you know, furiously mad and, you know, just, just taking it out on them, just rejecting them in anger. And, and, and they believe that God is just done with them and so that he's just pulling back and pulling all his his desire for them away, and he doesn't care about them anymore, and just leaving them alone. I know a lot of believers that when they hit those dark seasons, those night seasons, they imagine that the, the attitude the Lord has is that he's fully rejecting them. It's that old thing, the dog. Not that you're a dog. 
But when you leave your dog at home and he thinks it's for, for, for forever, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come back? You're back. You're back. I mean, we're like that. God leaves us a little bit and we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. He goes, I'm just stepping back two feet so you can feel what it's like without me. Because I'm not leaving you. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not, you know, punitively cursing you or pouring retribution on you for your sin. I'm stepping back a little bit. So you sense the distance. And then you get to decide if the distance is worth it. And that's really what it is. Because you get to decide. Is it worth it to be in disobedience without my, the warmth of my presence, without the nearness of my, my heart towards you, without vision? Is it, is it worth it to be in disobedience and have those things going on? Or is it better to obey and sense my nearness? And it's a gentle way that he leads us into obedience and abandonment and love. Now remember... She said, I am lovesick for him. I, I can't live without him. That's what she said. And she said, I, I, come, you know, I, I want to run with you. Draw me away. Let us run together. And she said, these are the things I want. I want to be with you. I want to run with you. And he goes, great. The very thing you want is the very thing I want. Come on, let's run. And she goes, I'm not into running. And he, so he steps back a little bit. So she can sense the distance and then make a decision on what she wants to do. All right, where am I in the outline? I'm somewhere in Roman numeral two. I've touched it. I've touched C. At times the Lord withdraws his presence from us to reveal disobedience in our hearts. He uses his absence to call us back into obedience and partnership. And here's how it works. The mounting desire in our hearts for his presence and intimacy, it enables us to overcome fears and courageously step back into obedience. And this is how it works. And I, and I, can, I can think of a hundred times in my life where the Lord said, I want you to do this. And I go, mm, I'm not so much interested in that. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, there's a distance. All of a sudden, I don't feel his, his nearness. There's not a sharpness on my mind. There's not clarity. And, I'm, and I go, what, what happened? He goes, remember, and you know, you'll go, and in that place, you go, you're going, what happened? I don't feel you like I did, Lord. And you go, man, I don't, I don't, I don't like this. And a hundred times I've done this. I go back to prayer and I go, Lord, what's going on here? So I, I don't feel like I'm, clicking with you all of a sudden and he goes remember that over there where I asked you to do that I go that that little thing that was nothing I mean me and you Lord he goes remember that little thing it actually mattered to me that matters to you he goes yeah that little thing that mattered I go oh so you just want me to do that yeah I just want you to do that and sometimes it's the most simple little thing sometimes it's just the most simple little thing and uh, sometimes we just make the littlest thing a big thing. And now, that, now, now the big thing is between us and God. And, uh, and I can think a hundred times. I mean, just going back and going, Lord, I'm sorry. I, why did, that was silly of me. I'm so sorry. Go back and do it. And I do whatever he asked me to do. And man, I feel so, so uh, you know, alive and hard again. But oftentimes, the little old thing is something like, I want you to humble yourself in this way. Or I want you to serve that person in that way, 
or I want you to do something that would actually, that attacks our own pride. I don't know how it is for you. But see, he's actually helping us to grow. But for me, so often, it's I want you to go to that person, humble yourself, you know, and, and say this and that. And I go, Lord, that, they don't need me to say that. He goes, oh, no, they don't need you to do that. You need you to do that. You need to do this. This is going to help you. Oh, Jesus, come on. I'm a lover of your presence. Love it. I don't really feel your presence anymore, Lord. And he goes, that's right, because I need you to take uh, seriously the things that are in the way between you and I. So often it's something like that. Now, in her situation, it's obedience. He's actually calling her to overcome fear and obey the Lord and launching out in faith and doing stuff. And uh, there's a fine line with that. I've, I've met believers on both sides of this coin or multiple sides. Sometimes you find the believer, they won't obey God and the thing God's called them to, and they're, they're afraid. That's where she's at. Sometimes you meet the believer, they've launched way out ahead of the Lord. The Lord never told them to do that, but they're sure they're supposed to take over all the nations for Jesus by themselves. And, and, and that needs to be corrected as well. There's, there's different nuances to the way the story works in our lives. But at the end of the day, it's the invitation into partnership, the invitation into obedience. And when we don't follow that invitation, at times the Lord will step back just a little bit so we, we feel the dis, distance and then it causes us to want to pursue him. And that's, that's I mean, that in my, in my life, I can think um, out of everything. I mean, there's two things that cause me to want to pursue the Lord more than anything. One is missing his, not feeling his presence. Two is any kind of suffering. We don't like that message, but that's just how it is. If we don't feel him, we'll pursue him harder and or if we're going through a difficulty, a suffering of some sort, we'll pursue him harder. Have you ever noticed that? Don't you wish you'd pursue him harder in ease? I'm like, I, I wish it was, it was like this. Lord, if you'll just load me down with ease, I'll really run after you. But he goes, I know how you're built. You just, you know, when it's easy, you seem to kind of like kick it into neutral a little bit. I go, not me. I'm in fifth gear when it's easy. I mean, that's the open highway, me and you. He goes, I've watched you a little bit there. When it gets easy, you kind of back it down a notch. I go, no. He goes, you're all the same. You all do it that way. And that is the brokenness of our little frames. In ease, we tend to back up on our commitments with the Lord, on our pursuit of the Lord. But in difficulty, we tend to reach toward the Lord harder. You ever notice that about yourself? Well, that's what he's trying to deal with here, that she, she is, is comfortable in his presence, and he invites her into a challenge, and now she, she doesn't want to go into the challenge, and so he's separate just a little bit so that he, she can sense the, the distance and then come out of it into pursuit. Okay, look at D. I want to speak specifically about divine chastisement or divine discipline. Several features of divine discipline. Number one, the removal of his presence is a gift of grace in kindness. Now, this is going to require a little bit of a paradigm shift for, for all of us. 
The removal of his presence is God being kind to her. Okay? Now, here's the thing. If I, if I were to say, uh, if I were to pass out a, a, a test and say, open answered question, uh, write down for me what divine discipline is like. And I just let everybody just fill in the blank. Divine discipline. If I were to write, give you the test, one, one question, what's divine discipline like? I doubt anyone would say it's God's kindness toward me. Kindness toward me. But it is. Divine discipline is God's kindness toward, towards us. Now here's our challenge. Most of us, when we've been disciplined by our human uh, parents, we experience the human version of discipline. And the human version of discipline can be, you know, really, really broken. Uh, I mean, it can, it can extend to a really broken, broken experience. But ordinarily, at the very least, it includes some version of frustration. I'm so tired of you. I'm going to give you licks, whatever. Go get a switch. And we imagine, because often our experience of human discipline equals uh, frustration on the behalf of our parents towards us, and maybe an explosion of anger or something like that, we imagine that, uh, that that's how God does. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the kid that never got disciplined, and the parents just ignored them. You know, there's those two versions of, of, of the way that ignoring works. You know, it's the cold shoulder because you did something wrong, so you just get ignored. Or it's the parent that just lets the kid run wild. None of that transmits love because it's actually not sown the way that God disciplines. The way that God disciplines is always in peace, always in peace, never in frustration, always for love. Always in peace, never in frustration, always for love. My point is this, God never flies off the handle on any of his kids. Ever. Ever. Again, back to my one question test, what's divine discipline like? Would anybody think, don't answer, but I mean, this is rhetorical. Would anybody think to put, it's peaceful? peaceful. It's kind. See, what it boils down to is this. Because we have bad experiences with correction and discipline, we attribute those bad experiences to God and therefore imagine that when God disciplines, he disciplines us through the lens of those bad experiences we've had. But he doesn't. He disciplines us because he loves us always in peace by his kindness, always. Think of it this way, or think about it this way. God has never been surprised about any of your insufficiencies. If he's never been surprised by any of your insufficiencies, anything you've ever done wrong, if he's never been surprised, he doesn't fly off the handle in frustration. Right? 
impossible to get frustrated for something you already knew. Well, let's just say it another way. God is love, right? And love is, what's the first one in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. He's eternally love. He's eternally patient. He's never blowing up at you, ever. Nor is he ever ignoring you. He's never looking at you and going, oh, I'm just done. Ever. Never doing that. He's always in kindness, by his grace, in peace, disciplining you for love. For love. To get love in you and out of you at the greatest measure. That's what he's doing. You've got to change. The the paradigm has to shift in our minds about what's going on in times where God is correcting us. I used to be extremely fearful of the corrections of the Lord. To this extent, when people would tell me, hey, I've got a word for you, I would get scared. Because I thought it was going to be the Lord uh, correcting me, exposing my sin to everybody. You know, in some kind of like, once and for all, Billy, you're going down now. I'm going to really correct you. And I, and I can remember... Uh, you know, as a young Christian, and as a not-so-young Christian, somebody going, hey, I feel like i got a word for you. And me going, da Like, what's God going to say? Oh, no, he's about to correct me hardcore. And I just had figured out that he's not like that. He's not going to shame you. He's not there to embarrass you. He's not there to, uh, he, he doesn't fly off the handle at you. He's not frustrated with you. He's definitely not going to ignore you. Thank God he doesn't leave us alone. Man, I'm so thankful he doesn't leave me alone in my brokenness. I'm so thankful that he loves me enough to correct me. That he doesn't just let me wander off the path and just continue going off the path and then show up at the judgment seat and he goes, hey, you were a million miles off the path. That would be horrible. I'm so thankful that he's committed to me so that when I get off the path, he goes, hey, that's, that's not the path. I, I appreciate that he wants me to be with him. Do you know what I'm saying? Think about it now. If we're afraid of God's correction or we attribute negative stuff to God's correction, we've completely misunderstood when God's trying to correct us what he's after. What is he after? Love. How does he do it? In peace by grace. And here's how it works. Listen, the Lord will speak to your heart. He'll say, hey, that thing right there, it's not going to be good for you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. That's going to hurt you. And then we go, this hurts? Nah. And we, hey, that hurt. He goes, now I told you that was going to hurt you. And the way that sin works is this. It feels good and then it hurts. It feels good and then it hurts. It feels good and then it hurts. And then after a while, you don't notice the hurt anymore. It just feels good. It's called getting your conscience seared. Until you wake up one day and you go, man, what happened to my life? It all hurts. Sin gradually takes you in, gradually allures you, gradually lulls you to sleep. And and, and just the whole time you think you're having fun and it's just taking you out. Well, the thing is, 
the Lord's trying to save us from that by his correction and by his instruction. And so he steps in to, to, to deliver us from the, the death of sin because of love, by his kindness. And so we, we will tend to journey off the path, journey off the path, and the Lord goes, hey, no, 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 get back on the path. So he'll speak to our hearts first. And then if we don't listen... He'll send somebody to us. Oftentimes it's your spouse. Praise God. And if we're a little humble, we can receive that. But most of the time we're not. Because you know all your spouse's issues and they know all yours. So it's just the easiest thing. You just think, well, they're just, they're just as bad as I am. They got the issues just like I do. Well, I don't know, but they're speaking it to you. I remember one time the Lord rebuking me. He said, you've thought your wife didn't, uh, didn't have my wisdom. He goes, but how often have I spoken the wisdom of God through her and you didn't listen? I was like, I repent. <laughs> I repent. And so, and, I mean, after that one, I was like, anytime my wife says something, I'm like, I think that's the Lord. <laughs> For me, it's... It's the Holy Spirit and Mary Beth. <laughs> I just pretty much go with that. But I remember the Lord rebuking me. It's been about 10 years ago. I can remember where I was. I remember the whole scenario. Correcting me strongly over that, thinking that she wasn't giving me the wisdom of God. And he goes, I've spoken through her many times, and you didn't listen. I went, oh, Jesus. So he'll bring, he'll speak directly to your heart. Then he'll bring someone to you. Sometimes your spouse. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a spiritual authority. But usually it doesn't get to like this, like the, you know, some people say, well, the spiritual authority, man, I don't want to hear from the spiritual authority. Like, dang, I want to hear from me or, you know, some leader in your life because that just is, that's like the last person you want to hear from. Usually it doesn't get to that level unless you've uh, blown off the three people in between. Do you know what I'm saying? Usually you don't have to get corrected by a spiritual authority unless you've blown off the Holy Spirit, your friend, two other friends, your spouse, whoever. You know, it's five people down the line and then you're getting corrected by a spiritual authority because you've blown off the previous four. Does that make sense? That's really how it goes. But the Lord's doing it all in kindness. He's doing it all in kindness. I'm trying to tell you guys, correction's a good thing. Y'all aren't looking at me like it is. But I'm trying to tell you, it's a good thing. Because I would way rather know now that I'm a mess than find out at the judgment seat that my whole life was a mess. You know? Correct me now, Jesus. Get me back in the way everlasting now. I don't want to live a life imagining I was on the path and I wasn't. And uh, I would just say personally, I, I came from that place of being afraid of God's corrections to loving God's corrections. So it's a gift of grace and the kindness of God. Number two, it's a redemptive judgment upon her life. It's not punitive. It's not, it's not where he's trying to, to hurt her. He is trying to redeem her. And it's a, it is a judgment. The judgments of God are just simply the actions of God. It's an activity of God in her life. She, he's judging sin in her life and calling her back to relationship and intimacy. And flip on over. I mentioned it there. I've said it a few times, but I'll just say it again because we have to hear this. Many people mistake God's displeasure with the activity of their life to be God's displeasure with them personally. 
It's not it. He's not displeased with you. He's displeased with the activity. He's calling you back into intimacy, asking you to let go of the thing that's between you and him. And there it is in B. I'll just say it again. God's correction of you does not equate to God's rejection of you. His chastening is because of his deep affections. Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he corrects. It's a sign of legitimacy in our relationship with the Lord. We should not fear correction. It's a sign of God's tender love drawing us back into relationship with him. If you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate. If God doesn't correct you, there's a problem. Notice this, though. Hebrews 12, 8. How many have become partakers of God's corrections? How many? Say it again. All. Now, what we need to do is just get off of our little high horse and come back to the planet and realize that everybody needs instruction. Everybody needs correction. I need it. You need it. He needs it. She needs it. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs correction. All of us. All of us. And it's not that uh, spiritual authority needs to go around correcting everybody. That's not the point. It's about the Lord's leadership and governance in our life. He is fashioning in us a heart of obedience and love. And so he's trying to help us. Think about this as a parent. If you never corrected your child... Think about if you never corrected them, didn't correct them in, you know, in any way, never taught them just even the basics of how to do life, didn't correct anything, didn't instruct anything, just let them go. What would you end up with? A little wild man on your hands or something. I mean, and some kids need a little more correction than others. Praise God. You know? Uh, it, it just varies. But can you imagine if you didn't correct at all? What if you didn't instruct and teach your child at all? That would be the surest way to neglect, reject, and show hatred for your child. But God, he, he, he's going to correct all of us because he's helping us. That's a critical thing to get. I've become so comfortable with the Lord's correction because I know that I'm in need of correction. I need the Lord to show me what to do. I need him to instruct me. When I get off, I need him to bring me back onto the path because guess what? I'm a mess. And if he doesn't, then I'm going to be more of a mess. I remember talking to uh, Mike Bickle about this very thing. And he had had a a dream, and in the dream, the Lord was speaking a correction about the prayer room in Kansas City. And um, man, the way he shared it, I just went, wow, that's just so intense. I go, how did you even function after that? I mean, the Lord's correcting the, the way you're doing a few things. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, I just, I can't imagine getting such a strong correction. He goes, oh, dude. He goes, I'm so thankful for the Lord's corrections. What? What do you mean? 
I go, I don't even think I could function. I might just show up and shut it all down after that kind of a correction. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, I'm sure we're doing 100 things wrong at all times. How can you even live with yourself? He goes, no. He goes, I'm sure I'm doing 100 things wrong at all times. God's kindness is revealing them to me so that we can, you know, do things better. He's helping. I go, I just, I can't even imagine. He goes, it goes back to believing that you're a lover of God and you're loved by God and therefore you're successful. Everything else is just the details of the fashioning of your heart. But the fact that you love God and it's real and that he loves you and it's real, that means you're successful. All these other things is just the fashioning of your heart. God's helping. I looked at him, I just went, I need to get that. That's been about 10 years ago. I go, I need to understand this. And by the grace of God, I'm understanding it much better than I did a decade ago. But that's the key. If we're without correction or illegitimate, God corrects everybody, and he corrects because he loves us. He corrects because he's kind towards us. All right, that's verse 1. Verse 2, verse 2 through 5 in the last 10 minutes. She says, I will arise now. I will arise. I will rise now, I said, and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but I did not find him. Remember, it was in chapter 2. He says, arise, rise up and come away. She, she tries to find, she, 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 he says, come away. She says, no. Then she tries to find him in the familiar place. He's not there. The correction, the discipline is working because now by verse 2, she goes, I'm ready to rise up. I'm ready to do what he asked. I don't like this at all. Without him is way worse than with him no matter where he is. It sounded scary to be on the mountain, but being away from him and being apart from him, I can't do this. I will rise now. I'm going to find him. I'm going to seek him. See, the correction, it produced in her that that pursuit. And that's the answer. When you're feeling a distance between you and God, this is the critical point. When you're feeling a distance, pursue God. From the pursuit, you'll find out what's going on. And when, God is, when God's disciplining you, hear me on this, he doesn't leave it like you don't know what you did wrong. Hear me out. When God's bringing correction, he doesn't leave you like, you know, for weeks going, I don't know what I've done, please come back. He doesn't do that. He just speaks right to you. He goes, it's that right there. She goes, I'll rise, I'll rise up. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'll be obedient. He doesn't leave you in the dark, you know, freaking out as if he's cast you off. He doesn't do that. If he's correcting, he makes it clear. Here's what happens. There's times of correction, and then there's times where God uh, pulls back to cause hunger to arise. And it's not in, 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 in regard to any corrections. In those times, both times, the answer is pursue God. It's always pursue God. And if it's a correction, he'll make it clear to your heart what you're supposed to change. And if it's just to create greater hunger, usually it just continues to create more and more hunger as you're pursuing him. But the answer is in two. It's always rise now. 
Go after him. She said, I'm going to go about the city. I'm going to go in the streets, the squares. I will seek the one I love. And notice, she seeks him, but she doesn't immediately find him. There is a place of perseverance. There's a place of perseverance. You repent. You seek the Lord. You may not feel revival on your heart instantaneously. That's okay. Just seek him. Just seek him. Because here's what's coming. Verse 3. The watchmen who go about the city, they found me. They said, have you seen? And she said, have you seen the one I love? And uh, scarcely had I passed by them when I found the one I love. I held him and would not let him go. It's interesting. After she asks for help. Immediately after she asks for help. She reconnects with him. So often believers. They want to do it on their own. They don't want to ask anybody for help. They think Lone Ranger is the way to go. And they end up all over the night by themselves. What if she had never run into the watchman? She probably wouldn't have found him. Instead, she says, have you seen him? I need help. I don't know where he's at. And immediately, she finds him. And then the response from her is this. It's awesome. When I found the one I love, I held him and would not let him go. Guess what? The correction worked. She goes, I held on to him no matter what. I don't care if he's going to the mountains. I don't care if we're skydiving out of planes. It doesn't matter to me at this point. I am not letting him go for anything. When God corrects, it's in peace. It's by grace, in his kindness, for love. And that's what he gets out of her, is a heart that says, I won't let you go. I've got to be with you. It's way better for me, way better for me to be with you in a a scary environment than to be without you in a safe place. I find that most believers don't have a clear understanding of God's activity in their life in this area of divine discipline. And they imagine that divine discipline is this sort of death sentence, but it's not. It's the kindness of God leading us to a deeper place of intimacy, and it's God's activity going after the things that are in the way of abandoned love. And I don't know about you, but I need God to go after the things that are in the way of abandoned love between he and I. I need him to help me in those, in those ways. The stuff that I've got my hands on that, that's causing a, a, uh, a distance between he and I, I need him to go after that stuff so I'll turn it loose and I'll abandon myself to him more uh, radically in love. That's how it's supposed to work. So, last thought. I gave you those four pages on the safe savior. The very next way that he appears to her is as the safe savior. And these two ideas about the divine correction and the safety of God, they go together. And here it is. If you know he's safe, if you know he loves you, if you know he's got your best interest in mind, if you know he's going after love with you, if you trust him as the safe savior, you'll trust, you'll trust his corrections in your life. 
those two things work together. And so for us, I'll tell you, it's just one of the most important places to be. To know and trust the love that God has for us. And to trust that if he's going to correct us, it's going to be for our good. It's going to be for our good. And notice, he will speak to you first. And then he'll probably speak to someone else. Until finally, you know, he'll speak to others. You don't have to wait till it gets to others. It can be right to you. You can operate right there with the change when he speaks to your heart. You can make the change. Turn back. Turn away from what it is. Whatever it is, it's in the way. And, and get moving again in intimacy with him. Amen.